Hello, and welcome to Patient No Longer, the video webcast with Ryan Donahue and Brian Wynn. Today, Ryan, we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about something that gets really underplayed in healthcare, and that is the, the fundamental culture of an organization and what it can allow you to do or what it can keep you from accomplishing. And so for that reason, really excited to have our guest with us today, who's a bit of a, a cultural guru, someone who understands uh, how to humanize language and how to humanize something that, that, that can look like a big operational machine. And uh, so let me just say first, Chrissy Scott from Virtual Healthcare, thank you for joining us and spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for the conversation. We're excited too, and and as I just mentioned in the open, talking about talking about culture at an organization is it's a unique conversation because few are qualified to have that conversation from a position of I would say you know having figured something out, and and we and we really think from you know sort of fans of virtual health and fans of yours that that we think that you have, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you Ryan I'm gonna tell you the mission of virtual health. Okay. Okay. Lay it on me. Yep. So dig in because this. This is a lot of words here. All right. Be well, get well, stay well. The mission of virtual health. I can remember that. Right. And how many organizations can you say that after you go to the website and you read that or you experience them as a brand or if, you know as a consumer that you can probably recite back what the mission is or say what it made you feel and and do so with any sort of accuracy. Give me a percentage. I want to say just one because that's the shortest mission I've ever heard. I mean, 1%, 2%. I mean, my, very few, right? And, and in healthcare, almost no one. Yep. Well, Chrissy is a marketing expert with over 30 years of, of experience in healthcare. Again, like I said, humanizing language in healthcare, which is really, really important and really, really hard to do. And I know that this has your, your, your fingerprints all over it. Uh, be well, get well, stay well. Because I know that it's important to you to simplify things. And um, sim simplifying something doesn't mean it's easy. Matter of fact, it usually the harder, the harder something gets is because you're trying to make it more simple. So, um, so let's, let's, let's dig in here with Chrissy today. As I mentioned, Chrissy is with virtual, with virtual health, excuse me, uh, fourth largest health system in New Jersey, and um, really an, an interesting organization that has continued to build uh, a, a brand throughout uh, merger, um, throughout a global pandemic, and continue to you know, increase the strength and size and, and I would say position of, of the brand in the marketplace. Uh, Chrissy is, is a, really, a really solid leader that is in touch with the people on her teams and the people in her organization. And we actually have a connection. We both served on the board of directors for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and so she likes to stay plugged in in that way and try to affect there it there is. too. So, uh, Chrissy, I jumped right out with your with your mission. Um, hopefully, you don't think I was poking fun because I'm truly not. But but the simplicity of those words, "be well, get well, stay well." Can you talk to us about that? Uh, about how that came to be the mission of Virtua and what it means to you as an organization? Yeah, no, I I appreciate that. It's one of the few times where I can honestly say I do think we have a hundred percent recognition among our colleagues here of the mission of Virtua. And so that's been really rewarding. Um, I can't take credit for it. It was, uh, it was here. And um, when I came here to Virtua, it was at a time where we were getting ready to acquire another health system. Um, and so that's when we started thinking about the branding. And the one thing we said is we cannot mess with this mission statement. It's that good. 
It's that clear, it's that simple. And so what we spent our time around was um, understanding the positioning of who, how, how does that come to life uh, in the marketplace? Um, and from the research, which we did a lot of, uh, it came out with Here for Good. Um, and Here for Good coming out in 2019, right before 2020, when the pandemic hit, was probably the best gift uh, we could have had at that time in terms of foundation uh, to, to work with uh, for, for, for a brand. I love that tagline, uh, Here for Good. It's it has a double. It's like patient no longer it has a double meaning, right? So especially when speaking about about healthcare, and again, it, even that is, is it's memorable. It, it's simple, and and I said that I wanted to spend a lot of time talking about culture here, and and so, and you mentioned just just a moment ago, bringing something to life, bringing a mission to life. Uh, that starts with the people that are inside the four walls, right, of the organization, getting people to buy in. Uh, to lean in, how how has the leadership team at Virtua been able to do that so effectively and have your folks live it and bring it to life for everybody that you serve? Well, you guys know best, it starts at the top. And so our, our CEO, Dennis Pullen, his whole thing is about being on purpose. And so I like to say that um, we do everything we do is purposeful because we are on purpose with our decisions and, and how we tie things together. We, um, during our integration, our, our things were all named by design and that became the mode of how we operated. Everything we did was by design, it was on purpose. And you hear so much about purpose-driven purpose organizations and we've probably heard more about that since the pandemic because that came out as you know so important to people, to consumers both to the people we serve, but also to the people inside the organization. People want to work for a place that they know matters uh, out in the community. And so we had this rare opportunity where we were going through an integration, we were rebranding, and we looked at the culture all at the same time. And we did them together so that kind of who we were, um, our, our mission and our, and our purpose and our brand and our culture we're all tied together and we weaved it together in that by design purposeful way. It really resonated like deeply with our em employees and our colleagues. Um, and we, you know, you guys probably know this, just working really closely with your C-suite partners is critical because you don't want HR off in a corner designing culture type experiences and language and initiatives that don't tie back to your brand. You don't want your brand to not be tied to the strategies of the organization. And so we've had this, um, it, it's kind of magical. I mean, for lack of a better word, the timing worked out. The people on this team, the leadership team are just so committed to it. And if you think about when you bring together two different organizations, the level of engagement that we have and the coming together that we have maybe because of the simplicity of it, maybe because it spoke to people's heart that it was this purposeful uh, opportunity, but it all seems to have aligned really wonderfully. And uh, I'm really excited to see how it plays forward. 
I love how you said that on purpose. I think we could all agree in, in our experience, Brian and I, with the Governance Institute, we've seen the dysfunction of leadership teams and boards where there's a lot of unconscious things happening or we just sort of do it that way because we have. And I think on the issue of organizational mission, a vision of values, you, you simply can't get that wrong. The, the, the mistakes that you make there can ripple throughout the organization. And yet a lot of people fall into a trap. So I think, you know, it, it does start at the top. And I love what you described there, Chrissy. But I, I know a lot of folks who will say, you know, we need a refresher on our mission and on our vision. And our values have been around for a long time. That was like two CEOs ago. And so let's Let's make some changes there. And in comes the, you know, mission, vision, values, consultants, the branding firms, advertising agencies, everybody does it, right? And they're all willing to come out there and you know what happens. You get these five values. It's always five and they, they sound really good. And one's like, you know, accountability or something. And that's great, but they live in a bubble, right? The rest of the organization doesn't necessarily feel that that is the values in play. It doesn't reflect them or the way that it's communicated or socialized doesn't work. So if there's listeners and viewers out there who are saying, I want to be purposeful in my mission and not fall into that trap of it's just another project, what's some of the advice you could give them to truly establish what you have? Well, I think one of them is um, kind of you, you measure what matters, right? And so tying together um, the culture, so how, how our colleagues represent the values and the brand uh, is part of a performance uh, evaluation. And so being really mindful that you're going to talk about it, but then you're also going to hold people accountable for those things, using it as a hiring metric. So before you even let somebody step in the door, do you have a set of questions that you're asking them to see that they're aligned with your mission and your values? And so that's been um, uh, really purposeful. And you know, the other thing for us has been language. And, you know, that's been my, my kind of my personal passion, my whole career was about just really humanizing the way we talk about healthcare. I, I think healthcare can be so scientific and cold and it, it needs to be in some areas, but the way we talk to our consumers and the way we talk to one another, the way we make people feel quite quite frankly, is so important. And we all have control of that. Like, I don't need um, a technology to do that. I don't need a big consultant to do that. I just need some colleagues to lock arms with me and say that we are going to use language to make a difference in our culture, in our brand, how we, how we communicate and how we market. Um, and that's what we're after. And, you know, I'm just really fortunate to work in an organization where that was, uh, we were open-minded enough to want to go that way. Mm -hmm. uh, language is, language is so important. There, uh, there's few, there's few folks that are trying to, I'd say, humanize language in healthcare, right? We're quick to talk about, uh, technological advancement and, and we're quick to talk about ways that, that we can leverage software and, and, and things like that to, you know, to, to engage or to improve a, a, a technical outcome, be it health related or something else. And, and I, I think that, using words that people would use that are that are softer that are more emotion driven that that um that can lead to what is personally motivating for individuals is something that you've done very well and i think it's and it's evident in what we've seen in terms of uh some of the i would say the action culture so not the words culture at virtua but uh, the pandemic gave an opportunity to many health systems to you know make sure demonstrate that they're keeping their staff safe that to demonstrate that they're they're working together um 
tirelessly, selflessly to to help take care of the community. Um, and then some organizations showed even more in, in terms of how they, they stepped up to do things um, that were not part of their job description, right? And, and so maybe talk to us a little bit about that. So talk instead of the words, maybe the actions that, that has been demonstrated by your team uh, that maybe uh, COVID had sort of put in front of us and, and made us react to, but how, how did your team react to it? We're on that one year anniversary of kind of standing up like the incident command center that you know, we get on multiple calls a day, all of the leaders to talk about everything going on that's related to COVID. And I remember when we first started doing that, and since that time, we've done five research studies about how people were feeling. And in a, those are the consumer ones, but we also did surveys among our clinicians and physicians um, and among our colleagues. And everything that surfaced through was this, this need for empathy. Empathy was like screaming off of all of the research that people just needed something reassuring. Like, yes, they needed information. They needed the things they needed to do to stay safe. They needed all of those things, but they needed it in an empathetic way. And everything coming at us was tell them these things, tell them not to do this. And even our signage, I remember the first signage that was coming across my desk, it was like, stay away, you know, stop there. Don't, you know, make sure your mask is on. And it was, it felt like people were yelling. And I said, we could still be safe and do it in a way that makes people feel like, I, I, just like we're hugging them. Like, I know this is different and hard and not like what we're used to, but we've got this and we've got it together. And from that very first day, my colleagues all embraced it. Like they saw it as something different. So even our stickers on the ground that tell you where to stand, they have something clever on them. And we used that idea of language, of empathy, of how are we going to bring people together throughout this time? And, um, you know, there was kind of this collective experience that we were all having. And yet we knew that we were all in it to take care of people, but we knew people were going home and they were tired and there were, you know, well-being issues and they had their families to care for. Um, I'll give you one example of something we turned into a positive. When PPE was in demand and we were asking people to recycle and reuse some of the N95s and, and the way they were being asked to do that. One of the things we were asked is for the females to not wear makeup because the makeup would transfer onto the PPE and make it more difficult um, to be able to have it reused. And I thought to myself as a female, being asked not to wear makeup in public at my job it just sounded like a devastating thing. It sounds simple, but it's a big ask. And so we put together this great kind of makeup challenge and we had people, we, we, we put together a poem and it was about really accenting your eyes because your eyes were gonna be what everybody could see and your eyes could smile and your eyes could tell a story. And in the meantime, we had people walking around on the units and actually giving out Sephora gift cards to our, our folks who were not wearing makeup in order to help um, with the preservation of the PPE. And so again, it was all about constantly finding ways to recognize that none of this was easy. And how can we be empathetic in that moment? How could we understand how difficult it might be and somehow make it doable, but a little bit lighter? I love the way that you approach that. You're like, a, you're almost like a language mystic 
Chrissy, because you're really <laughs> finding a way to get past it. And as soon as you said the signs are like yelling, I'm thinking of we just dropped off our very elderly cat at the vet and there's like seven signs and they basically all say like, leave, you know, just don't, exactly. don't get out of your car. Don't come in, wear a mask, yes. all these things. And, and, and it didn't crystallize completely until the way you just said it. And I love the empathy angle. So, you know, you mentioned this at the top when I asked about mission, first thing is measure what matters. And the yes. empathy, empathy piece wasn't just a hunch that you had at Virtua. It came out of the research. So yes. tell me a little bit more about that, because I think there are some folks, whether they're in HR or not, and they're listening to and viewing this and saying, you know, we're not exactly sure where to start. And that's not just with what's wrong. It's also what to measure. We see this all the time at NRC Healthview. Where do we go and what do we measure? We do the big annual HR survey, right? And uh, beyond that, we don't do much. So, so what's your advice on the measurement side to get in and, and find some of these issues that you've been able to identify? Well, it, it's you, you, you have the big metrics, right? You have the things that are measuring your, your preference, your awareness. Um, you know if your campaigns are working or not working. You know about you know, your click-through rate. You know those, those techie things, but you don't always know how people are feeling or how they're reacting. And so if I think back to the early days of when the pandemic first hit, I remember being in conversations and people were saying like, well, in three months, you know, when surgeries are back up and everyone's coming and, and we were talking about, you know, recovering our volume and I'm going back into the research and I'm like, some people aren't coming back for a year and no one wanted to believe that. And I'm like presenting the data and I'm like, no, no, this isn't a three month. Even if we're open for business, this has shaken people and they're going to cocoon inside their homes right now until they feel safe. And we need to have solutions for people, but understanding, and then what were they most worried about? And most people weren't most worried about themselves. They were most worried about a loved one. And so when you start to think about what they're most worried about, it then changes your message, right? So then our, our messaging, wearing a mask wasn't so much about wearing the mask for yourself. Wearing the mask was about protecting other people. People can rally behind that, even if they don't like the mask. Something about protecting somebody who you love resonated with people. And so understanding some of those nuanced sentiments that you're not going to get from your traditional research. So actually going in and, you know, you guys know this, we've, we've really accelerated our growth of our insight panel. And so I think as of today, we have something like 12,000 consumers that have raised their hand. And that's the thing I think marketers might find surprising ask them. They want to tell you what they like, what they don't like. Consumers actually want to give you their opinion about how they're feeling about things. And so we're asking. We're asking all the time and we're listening. And having sometimes when they tell you something that you didn't expect or you don't really want to hear because you were going ahead with this project and everyone else is over here, nobody's buying in on that. It really allows you to pause and reset and think about Am I doing this because the organization wants to do this? And if I do it and nobody really wants it, why am I doing it? And so it really makes you go back in and, and think. It can't be overstated what you what you just said, Chrissy. I'm going to repeat, I'm going to paraphrase, repeat, uh -oh. that if you want <laughs> to know what somebody is feeling or what's important to them, just ask, exactly. right? And, and, and with great frequency, they're going to tell you what it is that, that they're feeling or what they want or how you can improve or what you've done exceptionally well, uh, whatever it may be. And, and 
it, you know, it, it's it's that feedback. It's those data that you know that your team looks at. You use it for performance improvement. You use it to tune the brand, the messaging, all those kinds of things. And 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 yet, it still gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. Just the the notion of hey, let's let's you know get a step back a second and who do we want to hear from? Now let's design a strategy to to have a conversation to engage with them. So the insight panel you just mentioned, you know, it's, it's building a virtual panel of people who know the know the brand well because they've just experienced it in some form or fashion, and and they're saying yes, I will I will continue to have a dialogue with you, mm-hmm. right? Now as a as a health system leader, you can look at that and say, well, what we need to do and understand today, you have priorities and you're going to dig deeper on those things, but. But it, it, it's not more difficult than than figuring out a way to kind of get out of your own way and maybe move the conversation out of the boardroom for a second and, and move that conversation out into the community or out to one-to-one situations like this. Mm-hmm. When you're doing that, you mentioned a couple, a couple of things that you trust in terms of you know, a, a A&P metrics from the market and, and things like that. What other, what are other sort of indicators of success that virtual looks to and trusts um, with with regard to performance, and um, you you could say that that's that's performance from feedback from consumers and patients, or from your internal staff. Uh, you know what what measures do you trust, and um, how have those things evolved? And say we'll just look back, say thirty six months over the last three years, a lot's happened, right? So so how, how have those metrics evolved? You know, when I first came here, and the board, and I was so pleased, our board is um, they're just very forward thinking. And they were really um, interested in orienting to the consumer. That those were their words, and they they just said, you know, we 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 think we are, but you know, we're always looking at patient satisfaction. Quite frankly, some of the board members who have been at this a long time, they go, it doesn't really seem like those numbers move or change all that much or tell us all that much. And so they asked, and, and it was supposed to, you know, I, I laugh all the time with my senior leader team because they said, Chrissy, what would be some consumer metrics? And I said, well, if we were a consumer organization, we'd be looking at net promoter score because, you know, we would care about whether or not, you know, people want to recommend us and that they had the kind of experience, not that they were satisfied or that it was safe and the room was clean and the food was good, but would they recommend Virtua to other people? And so they were like, okay, great. That's going to be like a learning goal. And they put it down and somehow in the translation, it became the goal. And so I was just hoping that we set the right uh, parameters for it because we were off and running. And and this was one of our big global performance metrics. And so we're continuing to use the net promoter score. And we're actually um, this particular year for um, our organization, we moved it to looking at the net promoter score for our emergency rooms. We know that the emergency room is the front door for, for many of our patients. And so you can't excuse the emergency room as, you know, it's a chaotic place and there's a lot of unexpected things in there. So that experience, you know, can't be what the experience is. Every, it actually needs to be one of the best experiences because it's the front door. Um, it's at least the physical front door. And so we're going to be looking at our net promoter score for our emergency rooms. And then also we took a page right out of um, the pandemic and people really, the trust, you know, the, the trust was so important with the physicians. And so one of the things we're going to look at is the net promoter score around our employed physician base, which is a big group. 
And so we're, we're looking at them to see if we can get that transfer um, of kind of brand loyalty through the physicians and through the emergency room front door, uh, which is really important. You know, and I got to jump in because that's that's uh, getting me into a whole nother line of thinking, an, an optimistic line of thinking, Chrissy, that, you know, you talked about how even among the board, even among people that probably hadn't been there that long are saying, gosh, we're we're staring at these HCAP scores. And it's like looking into the abyss. And and that was part of the uh, motivation for writing our book, Patient No Longer, which we co-wrote with Dr. Steve Clasco, was this idea that HCAPs just it's this immovable object. And you put so much time and effort into it to try to move that score and your, your incentive is tied to it. And it can be really deflating and demotivating when it doesn't move. And so I love what you did about breaking something out from the consumer side of things. Even though the CNH cap stands for consumer, we know that it is rooted in traditional views of patient experience. So you broke that out and looked at it through consumerism. We have a loyalty index through Market Insights that includes Net Promoter Score, but a few other options there too. So Brian, I'm curious to you, a guy who talks an awful lot about loyalty, what is your view on that? Because Chrissy and her board are not alone. HCAPS isn't getting it done. So how do they take a scientific approach to a different way to measure? Well, I think the scientific approach is probably the key, the, the key word there in, in, in your question, because if we were going to talk about loyalty, you know, go back 10 years and talk about, hey, let's create loyalists in, in healthcare. That, that's great. That's a cool marketing term. Uh, there's almost no way to quantify that. And so it's going to be very difficult to to make a business case to get some investment to be able to you know to start quantifying it what what we wanted to do at nrc was uh give give people like chrissy give our give our partners a way to be able to start quantifying these these areas of uh, we'll call them moments of truth with the health system as as dictated as defined by the consumer as they are sort of engaging your brand, right? They're, they're aware of you, but don't need you. Um, we want to, yeah, we want to see now, okay, now, now are your services relevant to them? And then it's only at about 0.5 or six down this, down a seven step series that they actually have an interaction with you, a physical care interaction, right. at which point, uh, satisfaction of care and net promoter score is, is, uh, measured. Right? right. So, but it's, it's after they've already done this consideration, evaluation, determine if you're easy enough to access all these things. Right. And so by putting, intentional measurement touch points at each one of those seven steps. And then we do, we can just look now at, you know, essentially looking at the mean of those seven aspects and that's the loyalty index, right? right? So it's something where you can see if you want to move your loyalty index number up or down, then you can see if you're deficient in the area of access or deficient because your brand isn't quite as strong or as well known as you want it to be. Or if it is in fact experience related uh, in which we'd measure with, you know, net promoter score, right? right? So that, that's just a different way to, you know, as as virtuous needs evolve, then so must the tools and the research that supports your strategic initiatives, and 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 that's really you know in response to that. Mm-hmm. So you know, Chrissy, as I know you're thinking about you're thinking about the experience with the Virtua brand from the consumer perspective, from that of a from an employee, right, a staff member. Uh, you experience it in different ways. You know, as you're as you are trying to shape out the the optimal customer journey with, with Virtua, you know, what, what do you see today are areas that maybe, um, they're gaps, maybe they're little gaps, maybe they're really big gaps where, where you, you want to continue to get, get closer to the customer, right. And get, get closer to, to better, deeper insight. You know, what, what do you think are some opportunities at the health system today to be able to, you know, illuminate some of those gaps? 
that sounds like something I would put on my agita board. So I have like this, this list that I keep that keeps me up at night. And I think to myself, I have so much data, the health system, I'm, I've got data coming in all over about and more than I could possibly um, do something with. And how do I continue to tie it together so that just enough together so that I can make the right decisions at the right moments. And I know one of the things that we're thinking about doing, and, and I'm hoping this works, is, you know, we now know um, from online ratings and also through, you know, we just know what people are saying about us online. And so can I tie, if they're my patient or they've been through one, can I tie their notion of loyalty to my database about them so that when I'm sending out a CRM campaign about something, I actually know whether this is somebody who already is loyal in that they might say something positive about me or perhaps didn't have a great experience at some point. And can I scale them in some way and talk to them a little bit differently? Um, the person who's loyal, you know, they're like an ambassador. I can send them something and, and, and they get it and they feel it. The person who may have been disconnected from me because they didn't have the best experience, I might need a different message. I mean, I know I need a different message for them. And, but I don't know that today. Today, when I go into the database and I'm looking for a particular person, I may not know that just last week they gave me a two-star rating in one of my services for, you know, for something that I, I was unaware of. Nor when they call back on and, and they call my access center to make an appointment, nor does my call advisor have the opportunity to say something about whether or not their issue was resolved. Um, and so I have the data, I just don't have the data connected in a way that anybody who's interacting with my customer can call it up and, and be more relevant in that moment. And so um, that's something that we're gonna be stitching together a little bit because I, I do think that's a gap to, to not truly know the customer. I would say the other area is making sure the online experience and the in-person experience wherever I can is a little more aligned. Um, somebody walking into one of my buildings today, you know, if they're being greeted by somebody, that person doesn't necessarily know that they're involved in a nurture campaign through my CRM or that they're, you know, using one of my apps for their, for their customer journey. So, you know, tying together some of the things we've built in marketing to some of the places where the folks interact so that they have access to that as well. You know, it's so interesting you talk about those experiences, and that's actually the latest research we've been working on, kind of this hybrid approach. We had this explosion of virtual care events last year, most of which were not planned because there was no physical or physical became uh, very difficult to pull off. And we know through our data, through Market Insights, that we had a lot of consumers who came in with very low expectations in virtual care and telemedicine. You know, I don't want to do it. I guess I have to do it. It's my only choice. And they were very satisfied. Three and four were satisfied with their experience, maybe partially because they had low expectations, but also because they got their questions answered. They got their script filled remotely. They could drive through Walgreens and get it. So it's going to be interesting to see that hybrid approach. We're actually going to cover that later this year at the NRC Health Symposium, this hybrid theory. How do we make both of those things work in a non-pandemic world? But 
before we get there, we're very much in a pandemic world. And Chrissy, you know, one of the things that you discuss so well is the opportunity to have an experience be more than just an episode of care. We have the majority of America at some point in the next few months is going to have an episode of care. I can't, I don't know as a nation if we've said that, you know, in a long, long, long time. Talk to me a little bit about the challenges you've had. I understand you've done your own sort of retail healthcare version here, but you got some good <laughs> stories on how Virtua has tried to overcome those limitations that, frankly, the entire country is facing right now. Oh, I, there's like so much here. Like one of the things that I never is ever lost on me is the the focus on people's health right now. Right, everybody cares about their health. When when else could we have said this? You know, you know, health was something. Honestly, I think most healthy people take for granted. And yet even healthy people care about their health right now. So all eyes are on their health. And in some ways, all eyes are on healthcare because, you know, they've been cheering us. They've been sending food. They're, they're putting signs up on our building that heroes work here. And so there's this moment that we're in. And, and we're always trying to figure out how to make ourselves more relevant to consumers. And we're in the moment right now. And so one of the things which, you know, may sound crazy because, you know, the organization, all healthcare is really stretched in this moment, right? Everyone is tired. We've been at this a long time without a break. And along comes the opportunity for mega sites here in New Jersey for vaccines. And there's six of them in New Jersey. And I'm in a meeting and I just know, I know virtual is here for good. And I know we're raising our hands to be in charge of the mega site. And part of me is like, how are we gonna do this? We are already, we already set up multiple testing sites. And so, you know, we, we did over a hundred thousand tests out in the community. And now we're gonna do a mega site. And I just, I. I knew we were gonna sign up. And so here we are, we have this opportunity. We're gonna see more people in our mega site than we're gonna see in our healthcare facilities. And so how do we create a moment with, with, with consumers that says virtue is here for good, virtue is here to make sure you, you be well, get well and stay well. We're here with you in this moment. And hopefully when they need healthcare, when they need cardiac care, when they need, when they're gonna have their baby, whatever it is, they remember that Virtua was there and part of their life, not just part of a healthcare episode, but we were there when they needed something really important. And so our mega site is in an abandoned Lord and Taylor's building. And um, every day I learn something new. One of the wonderful things about the pandemic is that you learn together with your colleagues all day long. I mean, I think my colleagues know more about marketing and communications than they ever knew. I know way too much about operations and the things I know about Epic that I didn't know before in my chart, I, I think we broke it a couple of times. We had something like 350,000 people trying to get a vaccine at the same time. I have never done this before, but I scripted our telephone lines. Basically, we knew they were going to have over a one hour wait. Even if I put every person on the call, everything that I could possibly do, I could not keep up with this. And so we had scripting that basically says this is not ideal, but when it's your turn, we are going to be there. We are going to be 100% present with you to get you whatever you need. So take out a book, start multi whatever you need to do. If you're not going to give us an option to call you back, you're just going to wait. We just wanted you to like wait. And by the time they got to the call advisors, believe it or not, they weren't mad. 
they were actually grateful that we managed their expectation that they were going to wait and that we were going to not rush them. So when they got on the call, we weren't like our call advisors weren't irritated, like you're my 300,000th call that I, they were like all in on whoever was on that call and whatever that person needed. And so we have had, there's so many things I can tell you that I know would make you smile about this, this building, but, and, and this one's from today. Today, we realized that some, for some of our seniors coming in, it's to navigate the parking lot and you go in one door and you come out another door. We're in partnership with the National Guard. So the efficiency of our mega site is incredible. We did time studies and the stuff that's happened in that center. But you come in as a, an older person, you come in one door, you exit outdoor. So you have immediate disorientation of where did I park my car? We have, two, we have uh, golf course uh, do donating golf carts to us so that we can safely drive people back to their cars when they come out. I, I mean, these are not things that, you know, I ever thought, you know, I said I didn't sign up to run a ticket master, but that's what I feel like. Like, when did everybody ever call at the same time and say, we all need our colonoscopies today, but they all need the vaccine today and they all want it today. And so uh, you, you guys might know this, but the Access Center reports up into marketing. It's a wonderful alignment of being close to your customer and really understanding what matters to them and, and, and what they're worried about or, or what's kind of, what questions are they asking that we could have anticipated and answered and solved in another way? And so, you know, part of that journey has been um, getting our chatbot up live and running. The best timing ever was the the launch of the chatbot and the launch of the vaccine megasite because so many people wanted the appointment. And so the chatbot was able to connect you directly to how to do that appointment yourself if you were so inclined. And if not, um, you were able to either chat online with a live advisor or you would, you would schedule to have somebody call you back and actually schedule you. But we've been using the, the vaccine center as an opportunity to create a memorable experience, not a healthcare vaccine transaction, but how can I make people feel like we were here with them in this moment, that we were in it together with them, that we were here for good, and that virtual could be that trusted partner, that virtual was, was um, you know, was going to do the right things by the community. And so I am... I am so proud of my organization right now. And the thing, every day we do something amazing in that vaccine center. Every, every time you share a story from, you know, something amazing that your team has figured out or that someone individually has done, you, you glow and with, with being with pride. And I, I think, I think it's terrific and, and you should, uh, by the way, I know you never intended to, to run a Ticketmaster, but next time the Rolling Stones come to town, you could get a nice side hustle going on there. Uh, you right. demonstrated how to do it well. <laughs> well there's, there's one more story. I'd love it if you would share, uh, and I'll tee it up here. But uh, it seems like maybe we haven't been talking about culture because we haven't been saying the word since the open, but we have been this entire time because we're talking yes. about an organization that isn't ego-driven, that is that is people-first, community-first, and and orient you orient your operational strategies uh in ways that are aligned with with culture you talked about that being part of the fabric when you sort of re i'd say um reimagined the organization and how you're going to come to market you when we were offline you had spoken to me about uh, a mother bringing in a child to 
to the vaccination site um, who had autism and and just the way can you talk to us about the way that your team um, observed that interaction and then what you've come to do after learning a little bit more about you know the needs of, of certain types of you know members of certain populations uh, a woman came in, uh, it was uh, it was not her day for an appointment. And so obviously one of the first things you get asked before you come into the building is, do you have an appointment? And she said, no, you know, I just wanna come in and, and take some photographs. And so again, it's a place where people are receiving a, a, a medical um, attention. So in that area, you can't really take photos. And so um, our, the person who runs the center, she came over to see if she could be of assistance. And the woman said, you know, I have a son with autism and this will be a very stressful situation for him. He's coming tomorrow. And I thought if I could just take some pictures and kind of think through what he's gonna go through, I can prepare him the best I can. And so the person took her by the hand, walked her through, they took the pictures, um, but then that spurred a whole other discussion. So the next day that young man came in, um, he went through, they kind of didn't make him go through the line, they brought him in a different way. But we thought to ourselves, there is way more than just him, right? There's more people that need that. And how do we know when they're showing up that that's what they need? How can we, how can we anticipate it? And, and so um, we're in, like I said, an old Lord and Taylor building. So we found uh, an old lounge area, dressing room area. We put some dim lights in there, we painted it and we add some things in there and we have a sensory room now. And so these folks can now come in. And so we're sharing that information. Um, and it's not just autism. There's, you know, other folks that have kind of issues in busy and loud areas. Um, there's, you know, social distancing uh, that needs to take place. And so again, it's that we learn something every day and then we quickly try and figure out how can we anticipate what they're going to need and, and make it simple for them, make this not be one more stress on top of the stress that they already have. And it's been really, it's been really wonderful. I feel like the common thread through a lot of different scenarios you've painted for us today has been that you continue to walk in their shoes. You know, that's the spirit behind this podcast of Patient No Longer, that we need to walk in the shoes of the consumer along the healthcare journey, always a journey. And even the book Patient No Longer was really the successor of the Harvey Picker work through the patient's eyes, which I feel like, Chrissy, you embody so well, seeing things through their eyes in the sensory room and in all the extra things you're willing to do, even on the inside with employees. So, so tell me this, other people listening or viewing this will say, I want to adopt a more empathetic approach. I wanna see things through my employees or patient's eyes. Give them one little bite-sized piece of advice that they can take with them into their next meeting or their next long day that they could do to be a little more like you in being able to empathize in those ways. I mean, honestly, it, it is about listening. I think everybody, if they really give themselves permission, can put themselves into the shoes of their patients and their consumers. In my case, you know, I have a son with a chronic disease. And so I wear that hat all the time as a mom and I try to use it in my leadership role. I know I'm not alone. Everyone has a loved one that they care about 
And it's how do you want to be served? And then the same thing for our colleagues. How do we want to be treating each other? You know, one of the metrics that we're going to be looking at at Virtua based on our engagement score is a resiliency metric. And so one of the things we saw loud and clear, and you know, the pandemic asked, you know, um, accelerated people's feelings of, of burnout and stress. And, you know, it, we just can't have that, you know, the, the, we can't take care of people unless they feel cared, cared for as well. And so we're going to be looking at that metric and we have a number of initiatives that are coming up uh, to help that. You know, one story I can tell you about that is in the vaccination center, one, all of our staff volunteer there. So our clinicians and our physicians are the vaccinators and the support staff is the colleagues of, of Virtua. And so there's no paid positions there. Um, the National Guard is a partner there and they help us out with some of the positions. But every day we staff two shifts, seven days a week with employees. And the nurses recently started going over. And again, the nurses were pretty taxed during this time. And one of the nurses, uh, our CEO was over there and one of the nurses um, started to cry. And she said to him that vaccinating people who were so grateful and being able to do something for a patient or a person and to tell them that this is going to help them, that this is going to take care of them, kind of renewed her faith in the profession. And, you know, healthcare is a calling, right? People came to this and they went through the pandemic, not always knowing that they could save somebody, not you know, not taking care of people the way we want to, you know, we're family centered and you couldn't have their family there. So we became the family. It was just a lot of burden to people, but watching the nurse talk about being reconnected to purpose, it brings it full circle. And so, you know, I know you asked me like a nugget and I'm thinking it is so much about giving yourself permission to be the patient, be, how do you want to be treated as a customer, as a patient, if it were your mom, your family, your loved one, how do you want to be treated and work that in to, and, and I think it comes from language. I think it comes from brand and culture and all of that being connected. I love it. I, I mean, that you, you gave a, a bunch of nuggets there, actually, right when you were starting to just talking about give yourself permission, give yourself permission to, to walk in their shoes. And, and I think that when people are busy or when they are burdened with uh, extra jobs or or you think that uh, this is a little bit outside of my normal day to day in a non-pandemic world, you know, it, it's, it's giving yourself permission to be empathetic. I think that is that's terrific. And by the way, also, you said that your access center reports up through marketing. That's also a pretty good idea. <laughs> that is a great <laughs> for, idea for too. listeners. Uh, yes, that's certainly a best practice. And I just love how you were thoughtful about the answer, which I think, you know, what this has told me is you're very thoughtful about all of these approaches. And when you do that, you leave some room for the consumer perspective and the patient perspective. And that's just been wonderful to hear. Yeah. Uh, it has been absolutely our pleasure to have you today, Chrissy. Um, Thanks so much for being generous with your time and for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon. And for now, we will say thank you and goodbye. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Thank you. Take care.